Jesus is alive. Amen? Amen? All right, well, if you're here for the first time, I'm so thankful that you've decided to worship with us this Easter. Uh, we are without a doubt, we're a community of people that have been changed because of the resurrection. You know, and I'm praying that every single person that leaves here today, walks out of here, will be able to say the same exact thing, that the resurrection of Jesus has totally altered your life. And you know what I've also been praying? I've been praying that some of you would walk out of here baptized that had no plans and no idea that you would be baptized today. That's my hope and prayer. And the truth of the resurrection, like I've been praying, the truth of the resurrection will be so compelling that it would lead you to respond in faith. And maybe you're thinking, what in the world have I come into? Okay? Like, who is this crazy guy telling me that I'm going to walk out of here a totally changed person? Like, this seems a little odd and maybe a bit bold. And I get it. Maybe you're skeptical of this whole Jesus thing. We're not real interested in religious things or following Jesus. Or quite possibly, you've been burned by the church. And you've heard it all in the past. And you're just sick of religion. Well, my hope and prayer is that you would experience something just totally different today. Because you see and hear a visible picture of the love of God. Or maybe you're just here and have absolutely no expectations at all. You're just trying to come to church and, and get in and get out. I get it. Like, I totally get it. I've been there. I grew up going to church, and let's just say I wasn't a big fan. Me and my siblings, we fought our parents every Sunday begging not to go to church. And so, yes, I totally understand the craziness of the claim that just maybe you would walk out of here a totally changed person. It seems like a totally ridiculous, bold, outlandish thing to say. And if I were in your position, I would be a, li a bit skeptical, too. <laughs> Uh, but yet, I just want to point out something to the skeptic, as, loving as, as lovingly as I possibly can, that just maybe we should be a bit more skeptical of. You know, we're all here celebrating today the resurrection of Jesus. <laughs> we're celebrating that a man named Jesus died and three days later came back to life, and then he actually rose from the dead. Now, I don't know about you, but to me, that seems to be like the crazy part. Saying that God, who created the world, came down to earth, was born, lived a life, free from doing anything wrong, died on a Roman cross, and then three days later, rose from the dead. Can we just acknowledge and just agree on just the mere craziness of this? Like, I think we have to agree. It's either totally crazy and laughable, or it's true. And our lives can't be the same. And of course, we're here celebrating because we do, in fact, believe that it is true that Jesus did rise from the dead, that today Jesus is alive and active. So if Jesus did rise from the dead, and if he truly is living and active today, working in our world and in our lives and inside of this room right now and entering into the hearts and minds for the purpose of making us more like Jesus, if that is true, then just maybe it's not too crazy to think that some of you will leave, leave here a changed person. Because if Jesus can rise from the dead, we can be confident he can also change a life in an instant. Which leads us to our main idea today. Jesus' resurrection is life-changing. So that's where we're going today. It's going to be a little different than a typical New City sermon. You know, like I said, I, I know what it's like to be a bit skeptical of Christianity. And so I'm going to take just a few minutes and maybe speak to the person that thinks all this Jesus stuff is just a little bit cuckoo. Because again, I've been there. I've, had all, I've asked all the questions myself. And then we'll jump into two different books to look at the beauty of the resurrection from a couple of different perspectives. And so you can follow along and track with me. We've got a, a, a quick outline for our time. We'll look at, number one, the reliability of the resurrection. 
Number two, the story of the resurrection. And then number three, the implications of the resurrection. And in the middle of all of that, we'll look at some bad news, and then to that I say Happy Easter. And then I'll follow it up with some really, really good news. And we'll baptize several people, celebrate like crazy, and then we're going to call it a day. And while we're doing all of this, I'm going to introduce you to a few different people. And one of those guys, his name is Paul, who wrote about half of the New Testament Bible. He wrote the book of Ephesians that we've, we're going to reference some today. And fun fact about Paul is that before he was a Christian, he too was a skeptic of Christianity. And when I say a skeptic, I mean he was like a total hater. He killed Christians before he was a Christian. And one of the things that Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15 was that if, if Jesus did not rise from the dead, that if this, is, if, if this is not true, then we of all people should be pitied. Those are Paul's words, not mine. And so Paul, a writer in the Bible, agrees that being skeptical of Jesus is somewhat of a rational thought. I mean, he himself was also a skeptic. He essentially said that if Jesus did not rise from the dead, then we, the church, were all fools. I mean, it's either crazy or it's true. We've either all been duped and tricked and fooled, or Jesus truly rose from the dead. We either celebrate it and we're changed by it, or we're just simply fools. Those are the only two logical conclusions. Now, clearly, I don't think we're fools. No, when we pop open the hood and use our brains, it is an incredibly logical and a very rational faith, getting us to our first point today. Number one, the reliability of the resurrection. Now, yes, I understand there is faith in involved with this, but I think it's fair to say it also takes faith to be an atheist, or faith to be an agnostic, or just to be undecided. Being undecided in what we believe, logically speaking, is also a step of faith. It's faith just choosing to walk into uncertainty. But what I've always found so fascinating is that the overwhelming, general, global, worldwide consensus for people who have heard of Jesus, no matter where you go in the world, almost all will, all will agree that Jesus was a real person, that he died on the cross, and they will also say that Jesus was a good, nice man. Like, that's the general common consensus. Almost all historians will agree that this, uh, that this is, like, on this, and it's not really a debated thing. It's not a, a, a well-debated thing. But yet those same people will struggle to say that Jesus was God and that he rose from the dead. Like they struggle to say that. Which is just so interesting because when you think about it, I mean just follow me here. If Jesus wasn't God, who he did in fact claim to be, I mean that's why, like, that's, that's why the Romans and the Jews had him crucified because he said he was king of the Jews. They had, him, uh, they had him crucified, he said, because he was a threat to the Roman go government. All, the, like, all different documents will say this, the exact same thing, outside of biblical sources. And so if Jesus wasn't who he claimed to be as the king of the Jews and the savior of the world, then he has tricked and fooled billions of people for 2,000 years, which would then make him quite possibly one of the greatest con artists of all time, which doesn't seem so nice and good to me. Again, it's e e either absolutely totally crazy or it's absolutely totally true there really is no middle ground here i mean just saying that jesus was a nice good man but not god it just doesn't logically add up and i'll say i'll say this if you're a skeptic here today and you want to take down christianity and disprove its reliability or whether it's uh, true or not the resurrection is the place to do it because if you can prove that jesus did not rise from the dead then all of christianity it falls apart because of all of it it all hinges on the resurrection which is why we celebrate it today and we could spend a ton of time on this just hours and hours looking at the eyewitness accounts and all the historical documents outside of the bible and we can look at just the fact that we today date our years because of jesus that it's the year 2023 because of jesus's life 
And we could talk about how historians and archaeologists either uh, know or have really good assumptions of Abraham's tomb and King David's tomb and St. Peter's tomb and Muhammad's tomb and Buddha's tomb. And on and on we could go about where all of their bodies lay. But guess what? Nobody can find Jesus' body. And why? Because he rose from the dead. His tomb is empty. Jesus' tomb was guarded by trained Roman soldiers, the soldiers that put him to death, and yet that guarded tomb, it's since empty, totally empty today. And then not to mention, he showed himself after his death to hundreds of people, including his closest followers, one of which was his half-brother. I mean, he talked with them and ate with them and let them uh, show and touch his, the, the scars in his hands after his death. And all those people that saw him after his death, almost all, almost all of them were willing to die and did die, believing he was who he said he was and that he was God and that he rose from the dead. Your city, Jesus rose from the dead. We have good, logical, reasonable, and reliable evidence to celebrate that, yes, Jesus today is still with us. And just as another note, quite possibly the best evidence, in my own personal opinion, is the evidence of a changed life that we're going to witness today through baptism. And just maybe today, our God, who is living and active, just maybe will change your life, and you too might go through the waters of baptism. Again, it's either true or it's not. It's, if it, and if it's true, it does change lives. And so today, as I said, we'll be in two different books of the Bible, the book of Luke and the book of Ephesians that we've been studying as a church, the book of Ephesians, over the past three months. But I want to start by looking at a few verses in Ephesians chapter 1 just to show you from the Bible just a glimpse of why and how, how the resurrection changes lives. Look what Paul says about the resurrection. He says, starting in the middle of uh, chapter 1, verse 18, he says that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance into the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places? Now, I know that's a lot of uh, big, flowery language that may not have made sense. But what Paul is getting at is that when Jesus rose from the dead, he just told us it provides to us hope, a glorious inheritance, and immeasurable power, as well as a lot of other things that we'll get to. And I don't know about you, but if that is true, then that seems like a pretty good deal to me. Hope, a glorious inheritance, and power, which I think we can all agree would be pretty life-changing things. I mean, just think about it. When someone is hopeless and finds real hope to keep going, it changes their life. Or when someone gains any type of inheritance, especially a glorious inheritance, that's life-changing. Or when someone who is powerless gains power, again, life-changing. And just maybe that's you today. Maybe you come in just feeling hopeless and searching for hope. It seems like you have nothing or in some way you feel powerless. I pray that today you listen up because we do have an incredible hope. We do have power and a glorious inheritance to offer to you today. And so again, Jesus rising from the dead, if it's true, like we believe that it is, it's a big deal. It changes lives. Now before we get to our next point, just looking at the, the story of the resurrection, I want to introduce you to someone else. And, and that person is me, okay, at 14 years old. And I want to tell you this part of my story because I think it helps to illustrate an incredibly common misunderstanding of Christianity, Okay. So y'all, I legitimately thought I was an awesome, top-tier, all-star Christian for about two weeks of my life. I'm talking like top-ranking, 
all-star Christian. Outside of those two weeks, no, absolutely not, okay? But believe me, yo, I had really good evidence for this, to back this up. I had proof of my awesomeness. You know, I wish I was joking, but just let me tell the story, okay? Every summer for nine years straight, I went to a Christian summer camp for two weeks. It was like a, a Christian sports camp. We sang songs, got to do all the fun sporting activities. We had majors and minors. Uh, we did things like horseback riding and skeet shooting and archery and riflery and golf and tennis, high ropes, all the things. It really was an awesome camp. We did devotionals uh, before every activity. We had several talks out of the Bible, I mean, just every day. But part of the camping experience that was uh, made with really good intentions was that every week on a Thursday night, there was a ceremony where they would give awards and promote ranks. It was a ceremony that gave honor and, and really meant, it was really meant to just build people up. And so me, after eight or nine years of learning the system of how to go up the ranks, and be given those special honors, I was eventually awarded the highest rank a camper could ever be given. It truly was an honor. And get this, what this meant to me, at least, was that instead of wearing those normal white pants that every normal camper wore, I got to wear the special black pants during this special ceremony. And I got to sit up on top of this high ropes tower looking down on all the other normal campers in their white pants. So I thought I had arrived. And y'all, I worked so hard to get on top of that tower for nine years straight. I memorized Bible verses. I had filled up my wooden paddle with dozens of medallions I had earned doing things like camping out in the woods by myself and running to a very uh, top of a very steep hill and getting uh, the desired score on things like riflery and archery and billiards and memorizing a whole chapter in the Bible and on and on. I had about 15 to 20 different medallions on this little wooden paddle. And not to mention, I had to be on my best behavior and not get in trouble for an entire week which for me, that was the hardest part. Like I had to actually listen to my counselors, had to serve other people and not be rude or snarky, like I couldn't play pranks on people. And that was, again, this was so hard for me, but I had my eye on the prize. I was a competitive person, so I was gonna get on top of that tower. And so for one week, at 14 years old, after I had done all my other requirements in previous years, I put on my nice, friendly mask, I turned on my charm, and I made it happen so I could get those black pants and get to the top of that tower. And guess what? I did it. I was an all-star, top-tier, high-ranking Christian, and I even had the pants, uh, the, the paddle full of medallions, and the position on the tower to prove it. But do you know what is so sad about all of this? Outside of the ridiculous pride of a 14-year-old? thinking that I was an all-star Christian. The saddest part of that entire story is that at that point in my life, I wasn't even a Christian. I totally missed it. I thought I was a Christian because I attended church my entire life. I was baptized as a baby in the Methodist church. I was confirmed in the Presbyterian church. We celebrated Christmas and Easter. I had a Bible. I prayed from time to time. And I got the highest ranker a camper could get at a Christian camp. I thought I was a Christian because of all these things, but yet it wasn't until I was 16 years old when I found out that none of that makes you a Christian. Christian activity and attending church and saying prayers and doing more good than bad, being a nice moral person, that is not what it means to be a Christian. No, being a Christian is 100% solely based on believing in the good news of the gospel and that is it. It's believing in the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus, nothing more and nothing less. Jesus and only Jesus is how we get to heaven. Jesus is what makes us a Christian, and absolutely not what we do and what we don't do. 
And it took me 16 years of attending all the Christian things to figure out the good news of the gospel that we're going to talk about today. It took me 16 years to figure out why the resurrection of Jesus was such a big deal. And maybe that's you today. Just like me, maybe you thought you were a Christian walking in here today because your parents took you to church and you celebrate Christmas and Easter. Maybe you have a Bible and maybe you pray from time to time. If that is you, I pray that you'll listen up just hearing from a person that just totally missed it. My hope today is that every single person here will walk out of here knowing what it means to follow Jesus and to be a Christian and why we celebrate the resurrection. Again, today is all about the good news of Jesus that was sealed and confirmed when he rose from the dead. So to help explain this, I want us to look briefly to the book of Luke to see the story of the resurrection, seeing both the bad news and the good news of the gospel. Okay, the book of Luke, it's all about uh, Jesus' life from his birth uh, to his death and resurrection. But today we're going to start at the end in Luke chapter 23 where Jesus was on trial for his death before the Roman government. And in the book of Luke we see, uh, we see two different government officials. We see Pilate and Herod. Uh, this is not a made up story but these are real historical people. And they were both inspecting the charges against Jesus and both of which, both of these people found him innocent. They wanted to release him. But look what happens in verse 18 and 19 of Luke chapter 23. Look at all the crowd said. But they cried out together, away with this man, and released to us Barabbas, a man who had been thrown into prison for an insurrection started in the city and for murder. And so here is Jesus. We have an innocent, who's innocent, next to Barabbas, a murderer, a robber, an insurrectionist. Like, this is a really bad dude. But according to their custom at this time, during Passover, they could release one prisoner to be free. And so what happens? The crowd kept shouting about Jesus, crucify him, crucify him. They kept insisting, crucify Jesus, crucify Jesus. And I don't know if you've ever been in trouble or punished for something you didn't do, but I think we can agree, it doesn't really give us the warm and fuzzies. Like it's not what we would call a good time. And so just imagine Jesus here, knowing he's innocent, and large crowds of people are saying about him, kill him, kill him, crucify him. And all the while, there is Barabbas, a true criminal, known and caught for killing and stealing and trying to overthrow the government. And one of these two guys is allowed to be set free. I mean, can you just imagine the sadness that Jesus had to have felt at this time? And what happened? Who did they release? Well, they released Barabbas, the criminal, the murderer. Barabbas, the criminal, was set free. And what happened to innocent Jesus? Well, he was beaten, whipped, and he was handed a large wooden cross to carry through the streets of the city with everyone watching, seeing him as a criminal. Jesus was shamed, mocked, beaten, and tortured. He was nailed to the cross to die a slow, painful death, and they took his body, wrapped him in linen, and placed him in a tomb guarded by soldiers. And to that we all think to ourselves, that's not fair. Jesus didn't deserve that. Jesus was innocent, Barabbas was guilty, Barabbas should have died, not Jesus. And what we must all understand today is that we are all just like Barabbas in this story. Because what we know to be true is that every single person, just like Jesus and Barabbas, were on trial before the Roman government. Like when we die, which I hate to be a Debbie Downer here, it's going to happen. It's 100% guaranteed. Like we're all going to die. 
And when we die, we will all be put on trial before God, the king of the entire universe. And this is, to A, the bad news of the gospel. This is the not-so-fun part. But yet we have to understand this part before we can be a Christian. And here's the bad news. You and me, because of our sin, because of just one lie, just one thought, one bad thought, lying, stealing, cheating, greed, lust, envy, just one act of, uh, of, that goes against God's moral law, just one sin, it deems us guilty before God forever. And what's crazy about all of this is that when we look at God's standard for us, I think we would find out we're far worse than we probably realize. And we're far more guilty than we may think. I mean, every single one of us. And y'all, it's tragic. This is really bad news. You and me, because of our sin, we're guilty before God. The hard truth we all have to face, and it doesn't, this doesn't feel so good. But this is but this is true. Sin is real. And its consequence is death and separation from God forever. And y'all, the consequences for our sin, they're tragic. And I think if we're honest with ourselves, we know that sin is real. We see this and we get this just by looking out into our world. Because it doesn't just mess up our relationship with God, but it also messes up our relationships with each other. This affects the world that we live in. Wars, crime, backstabbing, lying, rejection, betrayal. All of it happens because sin is real. This is just the world that we live in. So yes, when we see God face to face after we die because of just one sin, we all stand guilty before God. And he will say, because of our sin, you cannot be with me. Church, this is really bad news. And so if that's the bad news, well then what's to be the good news? The bad news is that we're far worse than we realize, but the good news is, is that our Savior is far greater than we can ever imagine. The good news is is that Jesus, who was God and also an innocent man, he could have used his power to not die on the cross. Jesus, he could have gotten out of the cross. He could have not died, but yet that was not his plan. No, the good news of the gospel is that Jesus came down to this earth, was born, lived a life free from sin, and then willingly went to the cross to die. Because Jesus had a divine rescue plan set in place. Jesus came to die to give you and me a way out of our guilty verdict forever. You and me, because of our sin, yes, we're guilty before God, but guess what? When Jesus, an innocent man, went to the cross, he died to take our penalty that we earned. Just like Jesus was innocent and Barabbas, a guilty man, was set free, the good news of the gospel tells us that when we trust in Jesus, we who are guilty before God, we are set free We're seen as clean and innocent. Jesus died the death that we deserve to die, and we gain his innocent standing before God. The cross where Jesus died paid the penalty for our sin. And so in return, when we believe in Jesus, God looks at us and says, not guilty. We're seen as innocent. We're seen as free. New City Church, this is the gospel. This is what makes us a Christian. It's by believing in Jesus that through the blood of Jesus we are seen for everything we've ever done, for every sin we've ever committed, past, present, and future. It's totally, we're 100%, totally clean and free. Listen, if you're here today and you've never heard that, you too, when you see Jesus face to face, you can also be seen as clean and free from all of your sin. You too can be with God forever. This is our good news. And the only requirement is believing that Jesus was and is God, that he lived a sinless life, died on the cross, and that he rose from the dead. 
Today we can be clean and free forever. Totally innocent before God forever. And do you know what confirms this to be true? What's the rest of our story? Because the story's not over. Because yes, Jesus died on the cross and he paid the penalty for our sin. And yes, we're clean and free by believing in Jesus. But the story continues. There's more good news. Look at chapter 24 that picks up after Jesus' death. It says, but on the first day of the week at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared, and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. And when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And what I love about Luke's narrative is that it goes on to tell of an interaction with two angels. And you know, I always love what, the, what we see people in the Bible do when they see an angel. They, like, they totally freak out, <laughs> which makes total sense to me. I would be freaking out too. I'm just a jumpy person. But that's what, so that's what happens. They're, f- they're fearful. Look what it says. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men, these, these angels, said to them, why do you seek the living among the dead? And then look what these angels said to them in verse 6. He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified on the third day, rise. And they remembered his words and returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. New City Church, Jesus did not say dead. No, he rose from the grave. Jesus is alive. And church, the fact that Jesus rose from the dead confirms everything that Jesus has said. Because again, if he did not rise, church, we're still in our sins. We're still guilty before God, and we're not clean and free. But the fact that Jesus did rise from the dead, it confirms that Jesus was God. It confirms that all of this is true. It confirms the truth about the bad news of our sin, and it also confirms the good news of our Savior. It confirms that by trusting in Jesus, we can be clean and free, that we can be in a relationship with God. But church, the good news, it just keeps getting better. Because it doesn't just change our eternal standing, uh, eternal standing for after this life. It changes our standing with God today. It changes our current here and now identity, which leads us to our last and final point, number three, the implications of the resurrection. You know, over the past three months, we as a church, we've been going through the book of Ephesians verse by verse and line by line, just looking at all of who we are right now today because of the cross and the resurrection. We spent three months looking at these implications, and so today we bring them all together just for a mere sliver of all that it implies. And y'all, it is so good. And as we've already said many times, that if Jesus did not die and rise from the dead, none of this would be true. But because he did, and he did rise, we're not just clean and free, but we're also given a new life. We're given a new fresh start. We're then given the gift of the Holy Spirit to come into our lives and to empower us. And this is not something we do, but something that God does in us. And it is so good. Paul tells us in the book of Ephesians that we are blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Everything. Listen to this. Everything that we have with God in heaven after this life because of Jesus and the cross and the resurrection. Today we have access to pieces of heaven here on earth right now. I know not all the physical blessings but yes the spiritual blessings. All we, we, we have access uh, to the joy of heaven today while we live in the hardship of this world. We have access to the deep and eternal, never-ending love of God that will be fully found in heaven, that, all, that we all long for. We all long for this deep down into our souls. We have access to it today. We can experience it, and we can know it right now. 
Church, yes, there is hope in the future, but there is also hope for today. Because Jesus rose from the dead. God is with us right now. He's with us at all times. He's with us when we get the crushing result of a life-changing sickness. And those who are in Christ, we can find a deep comfort knowing that Jesus, who spent much of his life ministering to the sick, that same God is still alive and active today. And by his spirit, he can still minister to us. He's with us when we bomb a test or when we get passed over at work, or we face some sort of rejection. Yet again, because of the resurrection, the God who created the world, who sees all and who knows all, he can look at us and say, fear not, your life is in my hands. I've got a great plan for your life. New city here on earth, because Jesus is alive, we can know God's goodness in our pain, and we can see his kindness in a world full of hate. We can trust that God can take extreme tragedy and strengthen us. He can take our trial and shape us. And he can take our difficulty and mold us into his image. And why? Because as we've seen through the book of Ephesians, if we put our faith in Jesus in the cross and the resurrection, we can be confident that God looked at us before the foundation of the world and said, I choose you. I adopt you. You're mine. And church, we can be confident that God, our Father, he loves to strengthen and shape and mold his children into his image. Listen, if you are in Christ, he says to you, he says to you you're no longer a screw-up. No, you're seen as holy. You're no longer seen as a sinner. No, you're, lo- you're, you're seen as a saint. Church, this is our new gospel cross-shaped identity. God does not look at us and see a mess. No, he looks at us and sees the beauty of a work in progress. And because of Jesus and the cross, he says, you're beautiful, you're lovely, you're a saint. Listen, I don't know what you've done. I don't know where you've been. I don't know how you see yourself. And I don't know how bad you may think you are, but I know this. The blood of Jesus covers it all. All of it. Because if Jesus can resurrect his own dead body that was covered with the sin of the world, we can be confident that he can resurrect any person at any place, at any point in their life, into a new life and say, you're redeemed, you're forgiven, you're new, again and again and again. Listen, if you're not a Christian here today, you can walk out of here with that exact same gift, no matter what is going on in your life, and no matter how messy your life may seem. And Christian, this is why we celebrate the resurrection. And not just today, but all year long. Because every day we wake up clean and free, empowered by the Spirit, with the riches of God's grace and goodness just pouring out on us in waves and waves and waves of His goodness. That says to us, yes, our sin is great, but Jesus, His grace and love and goodness is greater. Get back up and keep going. Keep going, Christian, because Jesus is alive. Church, we could keep going on and on about the implications of the resurrection because the resurrection takes an old, dead, moralistic religion, flips it on its head, exalts Jesus, and then infuses it with power. And y'all, when I was sitting on the top of that tower with my black pants, a paddle full of medallions, thinking I was an all-star Christian, absolutely none of that was on my radar. Y'all, I totally missed it. I saw Christianity as a list of things to do and not to do, and it was a boring, powerless religion. And so please hear me today. Following Jesus doesn't come with a burden of morality to carry. No, it comes with Jesus who carried that burden for us to the cross. It comes with the, with the resurrection power of God to enter into our life and make us into a new creation because being a Christian is not about us. No, it is all about Jesus. Again, we could go on and on about this. It's something we could marvel at for a lifetime. But at the end of the day, the implications of the resurrection don't mean anything if Jesus does not have our life. 
If Jesus doesn't have our life, we're still dead in our sins, we're still guilty, we still have no eternal hope, we're still walking in this world in our own strength and in the old life. And whether we want to admit it or not, there's a sense of baggage that we all hold. If Jesus doesn't have our life. It's the baggage of our sin. But yet, if Jesus does have our life, he takes all of that baggage and sin past, present, future, and it all gets nailed to the cross. And when Jesus went into that tomb, all of our baggage and sin, it went in with him, and it got totally buried. And when Jesus came out of the grave and rose from the dead, the old life, the old baggage, it was buried forever. But yet without Jesus, we're still, we still carry our baggage, every mistake, every sin, everything we've ever done. When we come before God, it's still on our backs, it's still on our shoulders, and God looks at us with our sin and all of our baggage and says, I love you as a person, but unfortunately you cannot be with me because of that baggage and sin and those mistakes. But yet with Jesus, when Jesus has our life, by saying to Jesus, Jesus, take my life, take it all, take my sin, my old life, take all my guilt and shame, take all of my baggage. With Jesus taking it all and burying it in the grave, we then come to God and he looks at us and says, well done, good and faithful servant. Well done, my beloved child. I'm so happy to see you. Please come in and enter into the joy of my kingdom. And the only difference between the two is Jesus. One is covered by the blood of Jesus and one is not. And in just a few minutes, when we baptize people, that's essentially what they're showing. That the old life is buried with Christ and the new life is risen with Christ. That they are now in God's family. They're covered by the blood of Jesus. They're saying publicly through the symbol of baptism that they believe in Jesus and the cross and the resurrection as an outward symbol. They're saying, I'm clean and free. The blood of Jesus has covered me. No, baptism does not save them. Like, this is not special water. It's just a symbol. Just like my wedding ring tells the whole world I'm a married man. Baptism shows the world that they're a child of God. And maybe you're here today and you have recently professed faith in Jesus and you have not yet been baptized. I want to invite you to be baptized today. We have all the clothes. We have all the towels. Counselors outside to talk to. We have everything you need for this. We've planned for this. Baptism is the first step of obedience in the life of a Christian. In fact, it's a command from Jesus to believe and be baptized. We do this because Jesus tells us to do it. It's a way of saying, Jesus is the king and I am not. And maybe you were like me and you were baptized as a baby. Again, the command is to believe first and then be baptized. If you don't remember first believing in Jesus before being baptized, the scriptures are clear. Baptism is your next step. You're simply confirming to the world that what your parents committed to you as a baby has become a reality. It's a celebration. And if you're concerned that your friends and family aren't here to see you, well, guess what? We've got it all on video. <laughs> all of it. Again, no excuses. Jesus says, be baptized, and so we do it. It's an act of obedience. Today is the day. Or maybe today you walked in thinking you were a Christian, but maybe you realized you were just like me and you totally missed it. 
And now today, you've understood the gospel for the first time. You've decided that it's all about, you've understood and realized that it's all about Jesus and nothing else. And so today, we want to celebrate with you your new life in Jesus through baptism. We also want to see you take the next step of baptism today. And then lastly, I know this is not popular, but it's the truth. It would not be loving if, if, it, if it would not be loving if we never told you this, even when it's not fun. And please, please hear this in love. Because listen to me, in the end, after we die, when we see God face to face, there will only be two types of people. Those who said yes to Jesus in this life and those who said no. And being on the fence and staying undecided, it is a no. Listen, Jesus did not die on the cross for us to remain undecided. Jesus died so that we could live. Jesus died for us so we could say yes to him and live in the fullness of joy today. And so today, you must decide. Today is the day of salvation. And so let me ask, with very blunt, direct love, what will you choose? Will you be with God for eternity in the riches of his inheritance? Will you begin walking in the access of heaven we have today, right now, through Jesus? Or will you choose to ignore the spirit that is knocking on the door of your heart and reject God? And just try this life on your own. Again, being undecided is a decision. We all have a choice, every single one of us. We either live in the power of the resurrection, we choose Jesus, or we live in the futility of what this world has to offer without Jesus. And I want to ask you very directly, what will you choose today? Is the resurrection real and true? And I'm pleading with you in love. I'm begging you to choose Jesus. Choose Jesus today. And so in just a minute, I'm going to ask you to decide right here on the spot. And if you say yes to Jesus, I want to encourage you to take the next step of baptism. And when we all stand up and begin singing, if you're a follower of Jesus and need to be baptized, I want you to simply go outside, right out here, talk to someone. Again, we've got clothes, towels, all of it. And y'all, I know this is a scary thing. I totally get it. But I'm praying that you would be courageous today. And just walk in obedience to Jesus and be baptized today. This will be the best decision you have ever made in your entire life. I guarantee it.